Welcome to Booked, where two guys, typically two guys talk about the books they're reading. Um, this time it's a live episode. Very excited for this episode. Uh, something that probably has been coming for nine or so years, as you can see somewhere on the little screen. If you're watching the video, um, there's a little book cover that shows you what we're doing tonight. We're going to have a discussion about the Will Christopher Bear book, Kiss Me Judas, uh, with a very special and awesome uh, permanent guest host, uh, Misty Bennett. Thanks for joining us, Misty. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we uh, we decided to up our diversity quota, and Misty was available, so we're we're going that that route um, for this one. Just want to acknowledge that Rob basically nailed the 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 lighting in his room to look like the cover of Kiss Me Judas. So for comparison, for anybody who's watching, if you look at Rob's screen and you look at that coloring there. Pretty, pretty good. I've also been to Rob's place. It's about the size of a hotel room. So I think that he's really got the authenticity going, yeah, going through got uh, the for this, uh, this episode. Already, so. There, <laughs> there you go. Um, this is very different for us, for, for us, right? So we do um, book reviews to have a structure. We go spoiler-free. Then we go to spoiler talk, and we just kind of blabber about whatever it is that, that we want, and our patrons can hear that. This time... We're not going to review a book. We're going to discuss a book. There are going to be a lot of spoilers. So if you haven't read Kiss Me, Judas, for fuck's sake, go read Kiss Me, Judas. Then come back and and watch this or catch it um, via any of the podcast platforms a couple days from now when it uh, gets up there. So it's our first time in almost 500 episodes. So I don't expect this to be super, super smooth. Um, if you are watching on, uh, on live video and you have any commentary or questions, please put them in a box, which I think Rob will be monitoring. And uh, we'll address them as they come up. Let's get started. The book we're reviewing, discussing, see, there we go, discussing Kiss Me, Judas by Will Christopher Bear. Um, here is the uh, bio. Uh, this is a very heavily edited bio because the bio on Amazon um, seems to be a little bit out of date. So uh, I clipped what I thought was, were the most important parts. Born in Mississippi in 1966, old Southern family, lived in Montreal and Italy as a child, worked as homeless counselor, taxi driver, bartender, video store geek, college professor, screenwriter, and journalist. Short stories published in numerous places, notably Nerve and Bomb. Uh, I'm going to go right into this. Have you ever loved someone who's mortally wounded you? Phineas Poe, disgraced cop and morphine addict, has just been released from a psych ward when he meets a beautiful woman named Jude in a hotel bar. Red dress, black hair, room, and wakes up the next morning in a bathtub full of blood and ice, missing a kidney. Falling for her is the start of a twisted love story that takes him from the snowy streets of Denver to the high plains of Texas, where the boundaries between torturer and victim, killer and accomplice become nightmarishly distorted. Um, pretty spot on for a, for a synopsis, I think, right? Very Bef much. Before we dive into this, uh, I want to uh, talk about, uh, acknowledge the fact that some of us have far superior internet connections to others. So apologies if, um, if any of us at any point um, freeze up or, or kind of fade out. Um, the internet speeds in Illinois are not as good to some of us as others. So apologies. Um, I want to start by saying, so the original publication date of this book, I, I believe this is correct. Um, October 1st, 1998. That would be a Viking first edition hardcover. Does that sound right to Misty, who's going to be our resident historian, I think, on, <laughs> on all things Kiss Me Judas? 
Let me just comment that that's a bit of hyperbole, but I believe that's accurate. <laughs> historian, so books... calling me a historian is hyperbole. <laughs> so if there was, if if there was, if we were like made to be like, hey, one of you's the historian, point to that person. Me and Livius are pointing to you. So you are the de facto historian. Love it. God, I hope Livius just... Uh, I'm going to cut okay. my video until this... Nope, I'm going to cut my video until uh, the situation improves. So the book's 22 years old, and it's... You know, the structure of the story is based pretty heavily on, a, like, an urban legend, right? Like the, you know, you're going to wake up in a bathtub full of ice with uh, with an organ missing. So, I mean, I've read a couple of books that have had um, a premise based in an urban legend. Do you guys recall if you've read anything you know, similarly structured, I guess. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything, but I'm sure that there's been like that element baked into it, but maybe not so in your face as this one is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. I hadn't had an experience with this specific storyline, but I am familiar with it as, as being used. And typically, isn't it a prostitute that steals the kidney or something like that? I mean, I guess if the there's setup. one, all right. The setup is similar. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, let, let's face it. If, if you're traveling and you're a single guy or you're a guy traveling singly, I should say, um, that's probably the best way to get someone up to their hotel room is under the guise of, of sex. Thanks. So a prostitute or, yes. a, a, you know, a, a woman in the in the hotel bar. So I would imagine that if this ever happened, it would probably be like that, not like the guy sitting next to you watching the football game with you going, hey, buddy, you want to go up to my room and get a drink? You know, I, I, it's Not probably, cool. yeah, it's probably um, going to be that. So I think that reading the synopsis, if I remember correctly, 18, whatever years ago, I first read this book. Um, it, it came highly recommended via the internet. Um, and I thought, it's a little hokey. It's a little hokey that it's based yeah. on an urban legend, right? Okay, yeah. I want to make sure I'm not the only person that reads that and says, hmm, is this something I want to spend, you know, five hours of my time um, reading? Right. Dude, so Livius, you're the one that made me read this, and um, I don't recall where it was in the chronology of you recommending books to me, um, but when you pitched it to me, I was like, get the fuck out of here with this nonsense. Like, it didn't sound... Um, compelling when you say what the story is about um, from a person to person recommendation um, so yeah a little bit it was a little bit just until I started reading it and I got it it was like uh, what the fuck's going on here as someone who's uh, who was constantly recommending it especially um, back in the early 2000s it was a hard sell because it sounds like pulp fiction it's just trash almost is what it, it sounds like at first as far as a plot line and whoo boy is that not accurate this uh <laughs> this this came up on the podcast a few weeks ago so i'm gonna go ahead and and read a um one of the uh two one star reviews on, on on amazon for this and i think this this exemplifies what I think some people think going into this book um a little frustrated with this person who who got 100 pages in which the book's only 260 pages or something so you know more than a third of the way in they wrote this this review uh it's not so much that this novel is both immoral and grotesque which it is um and and i can agree with it being immoral and, and grotesque i think i think there's a lot of that in this book 
but that the love that is supposed to bind it together is so preposterous as to make the novel unreadable. I found myself giving up around page 100, frustrated by the all-too-precious prose and the absurd idea of a man who's had his kidney removed by a woman only to fall in love with her. I don't know about you, but there's only so far I can stretch a metaphor. Take away my kidney, and that's where I draw the line. Um, Arturo was not a fan. <laughs> that's someone who doesn't care enough about love. I'm going to tell you that right now. Yeah, so, but I thought that it might be a good place to start. So that that is literally the 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 theme of this book. Go can ahead, Misty. You look like you have a yes. I can you read the comment about the prose again? Uh, all yes. too precious, right? All too precious. Uh, yeah, all too all too precious prose, correct. The craftsmanship of the prose <laughs> in this book. Yep. And and I'm sure I'm sure we'll it's, get to that. I'm sure I just uh, want to lay a foundation for, uh, for maybe where we start talking about the Talk about missing the mark. I don't I don't even view. know if it's the theme of the book so much as it's the um the uh like the main plot point right i mean thematically i think it's about loss but i you know i I think that that's really where somebody could get hung up and i could see that from the synopsis getting caught up on that and saying meh not really sure about that i want to put my time into this one Mm -hmm. but at 100 pages yikes so um i guess i'll read because there's only one other one um here's another one from jelly kit um one star it says awful After the first chapter, I was disgusted, almost angered by how awful this book was. Cliché? Yep. Predictable lazy writing? You betcha. I typically don't write book reviews on Amazon, but I had to go out of my way to inform my fellow readers out there how awful this book was. Avoid. Was it predictable? Seriously. Well, I mean, I guess if you read one whole chapter, then... Because that's what it says, right? Like after the first chapter, so I'm not, I'm not sure. And and Misty, trust me, I had the exact same look on my face that you did, Rob, um, a couple weeks ago. Read me um, one of those reviews uh, for me to guess what book it was, and I was pretty goddamn angry. <laughs> um, but you know, everyone likes likes what they like. I think we have three uh, fairly like-minded people here who hold this book in fairly high regard, and I, you know, we'll we'll obviously discuss that kind of as we go. So let's start there, uh, and we'll go with Misty. Misty, what are what is the likelihood or what are the chances that a guy in Phineas Poe's situation and and I guess I'll recap for anybody who's listening who who hasn't read the book, um, the book basically the story kicks off with with Phineas Poe, um, he's drinking in a hotel bar. He's approached by a very attractive woman who uh, uh, purports to be a prostitute. Um, goes up to his room with him, has sex, and he wakes up in a bathtub full of ice. And there is a note that says, if you want to live, call 911 outside of the bathtub. Um, so not how likely is that? I think we already kind of covered that. I don't think it'd be too hard to get most guys traveling alone into a hotel room in that situation. Um, how likely is it, though, that, that uh, the, the, um, the recipient of the uh, surgery um, falls in love with his surgeon? Oh, I mean, extremely unlikely in a sense, except that, um, Rob, I can't remember what your specific comment was a second ago, but I think what this book really beautifully explores is understanding characters and that no human being is simply a villain or <clears throat> hero. And so as these characters develop and as Phineas gets to know the woman with a body like a knife, 
who took his kidney out. <laughs> um, there's a lot more to her than a villain who stole his kidney. And, uh, and it's beautifully done, even with the, the chaos of the unreliable narrator. But anyway, to answer the question, yeah, no, not likely. Rob, you're a guy. What do you think? Um, that's... It's weird because the the idea of someone stealing your kidney and then you having feelings for them is kind of an exaggerated uh, example of anybody who experiences some sort of trauma through a relationship, right? So I'm not saying that it was an intentional metaphor of any kind, but what I will say is um, there is some serious shit that people are willing to suffer through if they feel like the person that they care about um, you know, is important to keep in their lives. So I, eh, I understand that it's an extreme example. Um, but I think because it's an extreme example, it illustrates the point so well that we will allow awful shit to happen to ourselves, um, for a person. And especially if you're in a vulnerable state and you probably don't have the right control of your mind. And like, there's so many factors to this specific example that make it more likely for someone to overlook something like organ theft when um, <laughs> they find something that's not terrible in their life. So um, I, in the context of the book, it makes total sense, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's where I land on it. One of the things that wasn't mentioned in either of those parts of the book or whatever is that, you know, Phineas just got out of a mental institution. He's clearly not all there, and he's dealing with uh, with some pretty heavy shit. And and a well-adjusted person likely would not hunt you down and then try to pursue some kind of meaningful relationship with her because I, I, I disagree a little bit with what you said, Misty. I'm not sure that Jude brings a lot to the table from a lovability standpoint. And that's okay. I, I, I find her to be an interesting and well-written character. I fail to see exactly what she does for Phineas other than be like a life preserver for him because he's circling the drain, right? We'll go back a step again and I'll kind of um, give you what leads up to this. Poe's wife um, has died earlier in the year under circumstances that at least um, through most of the book, and, and we'll, we'll talk about a little bit kind of towards the end of the discussion, that we're unclear exactly what his role may or may not have been in her death. So she was terminally ill. Um, she may have taken her life. Poe may have taken her life. Something completely. She might still be alive. I mean, there are parts in the book that 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 uh, lead you to believe that she may not even be dead. Um, so he suffers through that. He has a breakdown. He spends some time in a in a mental institution. He gets out, and I'm not clear exactly how much time between when he gets out there is before he meets Jude. But you know, this is the the first maybe person who's shown a real interest in him. And if it is through stealing his stories or in movies that we've seen or stories you've heard about like really damaged um, like drug addicts for example who will beat the shit out of one another and still stay together because that's the only thing that they have and i kind of equate their relationship maybe a little more to that than to some grand um, romance between nutcases which it also kind of is so 
Uh, should I retort about Jude now or <laughs> no? For no, ab absolutely. So here's how I kind of uh, see her, especially after this reading. And Rob, I don't know if it jumped out to you, but she reminds me a lot in a way of Hannibal and the relationship between um, Hannibal and Will. She is manipulative. She is not safe. She is willing to take his kidney out at the very end of the book again, even after all of the intimacy that they shared. However, as you learn in some of the telling of her own backstory, she's a very broken person. She's been through a lot, and I think her strength and her willingness to damage people and be the villain sometimes is something that Phineas admires and kind of wants to be like because she's the complete opposite of who he's been with before and the complete opposite of kind of who he is at his core. So two cent, my two cents on that, uh, I can understand the parallel, Misty. And I think that my take on the Jude character in a broad sense is that she was just kind of bombing through life, uh, doing her thing, and she hadn't met anybody or been in a situation that would make her be a normal person that cares about someone. So, like, <laughs> when she finds this fucked up cop who, uh, you know in this situation, the book that we read, um, things change for her. And so, yeah, it is a little bit of like the monster becoming less monstrous in a way. Uh, but I can see where Livius is coming from, like outside of this specific instance, like it's not like her dating profile wouldn't be that exciting, but <laughs> in this specific instance with these two people, um, she's, she's a different kind of iteration of herself. Yeah, they um, there is a metaphor that they play with um, that uh, is also played with in Hannibal. I don't know if you recall the moment where uh, Phineas asked the blister, I believe, um, about like, an, like if he saw an injured toad in the forest that was too far away from water, a wounded toad then would you help it to the water and save it? Or would you basically crush it and kill it? It's really more of a torture right. scenario, but it reminded me so much of the Bedelia question of if you saw a wounded sparrow, would you, what is your instinct? Is it to crush it or is it to save it? And I feel like Phineas is kind of in between those two instincts. And uh, that's just another one of the parallels that I saw. Or he's the sparrow. He's the fucking egg. <laughs> the goose and the golden egg. Okay, sorry. Um, uh, um, I think that uh, regardless, that's so. I'm going back to the the fact that this relationship might be unbelievable to anybody who's read the book. Um, you know, stresses me out a little bit because I think that regardless of which side of this particular discussion you're on, if you're Team Misty or your Team Livius or Team Rob, like I think that there's enough there to make the argument that this is <clears throat> believable in the scope of the story. And oh. let's let's take a moment to acknowledge that there are plenty of times throughout the book that he's like, I'm going to kill her. Like, he's oh. planning to kill her. So, yeah. like, it's not all, you know, rainbows uh, no, throughout. He, he does want to kill her a lot, too. A lot. I want to take a oh, second I know to this. point out. I, I did dress up for this, by the way. I didn't mention it earlier, but you can't see, but I'm wearing a black t-shirt and blue jeans. 
which I'm pretty sure was an outfit at one point in the book, but also is the kind of outfit that an author who would write something like this would most likely wear. So <laughs> that's yeah, yes, that's that's a very that's a very good point. <laughs> theme, themed out. Um, I uh, oh, I was on my next point, and then I I got um, I got off. sidetracked. Sorry, that's okay. No, no, that's all right. Um, so yeah, we're on the same page that it's a believable relationship. So, um, but Misty, something you said made me <clears throat> kind of, I think in this, in this, you almost have to take a side and I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you're team Phineas or team Jude. Do what? Oh, wow. no, I can't pick a side. No. Okay. I, I, I do. Rob, did you get a feeling that she was maybe on a side? Well, she didn't come in with Jude hair like I thought she was going to, so um, not as sure as I as I was before. But I feel like. Do you have to be on? If you're on Jude's side, are you against Phineas? Is that the implication? It means you favor. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. love Phineas. He's the. I mean, if there's anyone's first person narrative you want to be inside, it's it's his. If there's any um, character in a book I've ever wanted to give a hug to, I, I think it's I think it's Phineas Poe. Yeah, gonna be worried about needles and stuff though, probably. Yeah, you got to be worried about stitches breaking and stuff. Although Phineas doesn't seem particularly concerned with his injury, although he dwells yeah. on it a lot through the course of the book, it doesn't stop him from doing um, yeah. one goddamn thing. And sorry, Rob, um, so whose side are you on? Um, that's a good question. I I. Uh, I'm going to take this completely as if these two people are actual real people in real life um, that I would have to interact with and have like a normal Rob's life interaction with I would be Team Jude I can't handle that fucking chaotic energy that's going on with Phineas it's like bro needs to just fucking chill paranoia out of control and he would probably kill me at some point so at least to Jude, there would be sex and murder. Probably. I mean, and you can you know, her if you want. So you know, there's always that. I'm, I'm. So during the course of the story that we see, the we'll say two weeks. I, I don't know. I maybe the the story takes place over the course of two weeks, right? It's not. It's not very long. Mm-mm. During that two weeks, Phineas doesn't kill anybody. It's hard for me to to remember that I can talk spoilers too, so it took me a second to get to that. But yeah, it, it's um, Phineas doesn't actually kill anybody during the course of the book. Jude does all the fucking murdering, not just Jude, I guess, but the, there are other characters that that kill people. Um, so I don't know. Although uh, Poe has killed people, and and he makes it clear, and and you know, if you move on to stories two and three, there there might be a little more evidence of of that. Um, so I, I guess I don't know. I, you said he, he'd likely kill you, and I don't know that, at least during the course of this story, that there's the evidence that he would. Well, I mean, if he's fighting for Jude, I think he might. Yeah, that's yeah, if I'm true. trying to take over that, step into that spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, women will make you do crazy things. Do you guys think there was a plan for three books? Misty. No clue. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. I really don't. And yeah. I have um 
I, I don't know that I've ever thought about this, but obviously I'm, I was looking um, this my fourth or fifth time reading this um, with the idea of discussion worthy topics. Right. Um, I wonder if there was a future plan for Phineas's brother. So it, it comes up kind of through the course of the story, not in a way that I felt necessarily enhanced the story or even Poe's character that he has a brother who's off, I believe, in Africa. He's an adventurer, I believe is how it's put, which leads me to believe that there was just enough there um, for the possibility of an introduction later on. Rob, thoughts on that? Um, nothing beyond the fact that when I read the parts about his brother in the book, I was like, oh, that's a setup. So um, that's yep. yeah, it felt not necessarily like an intentional setup, but like reg regardless, it is a setup. Yes. I mean, he gets a name, right? Is it Ethan? Yeah. Am I remembering that correctly? Yep. So it's vowel. Um, but... I don't remember exactly what it is. Though. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's Ethan. So I don't believe he does make an appearance, and it's been years. I'm I'm a little ways into um, Penny Dreadful right now, and Hell's Half Acre I probably haven't read in ten years, but I, I don't believe it comes up again. So that was just kind of an interesting thing that that caught my eye in this particular reading. Um, this came up a little bit before the podcast, so I'm going to go um, uh, directly to Rob on this one. Um, Rose White, who is the nurse that um, Phineas encounters when he um, checks himself out of the hospital after being transported there with a missing kidney. Um, so do you think, Rob, that um, Rose White was an actual person that he met? Or was that Isabel who um, was in disguise the whole time? So I guess the options are, did he meet uh, Rose White, who then Isabel killed? Did he meet Isabel, who was pretending to be Rose White? Um, I think the way the story is structured leads you to the kind of conclusion that Rose was Isabel the whole time. Like, there's there's more... Did I say that right? I think I said that right. There's more doubt cast on that kind of memory of Phineas's than his average amount of like unreliability like I feel like there was more time put into uh, not only like establishing what did and didn't happen but also like casting doubt on what did and didn't happen like enough where it was like alright this is probably just um, yeah it was probably Isabel the whole time that's where I land on it um, but I want to say I've read this book this is the second time I've read this book so um, I, the first time around, I didn't focus too hard on plot because, I mean, it was just so wild that it was just like, enjoy the ride and then maybe think about it later. So this time I was a little bit more thoughtful about it and I did try to pay attention. Um, but really what we're going off again is like the world's most unreliable narrator. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm still left to believe that just the amount of time that was spent thinking about who was this Rose character leads me to believe that it was uh it was a uh, isabel misty believes she has a definitive answer so i i um i'd like to hear i cut her off this kind of came up like i said before we started the podcast i was like don't, don't let's let's talk let's make She's this a talking historian. point so yep uh there is a reference to the hourglass birthmark on her left hand yes it is yes. it is actually yeah. confirmed that it is isabel the whole time okay I remember so when that when I read the thing, this like later on the reference later on with the hourglass, 
um, birthmark, I was like, that fucking means something. And I didn't remember what it tied back to. Sure. So. Yeah. But sure. here's what's cool. And just to your point, and even Rob, to your point about when you read it the first time or even the 10th time, the the way that it is structured, I think that there's enough leeway to to be able to say, like, did this actually happen? Did it not? And even upon multiple readings, you can still be questioning what truly took place and what is just a figment of Phineas's imagination. Yes, and I know the birthmark is probably the one sticking point um, against <clears throat> my theory. And my theory was this. Isabel would have to be there just kind of knowing that Phineas would check himself out, like hanging out in a hospital where she doesn't belong the whole time. And that that's my only kind of reason that from a plot standpoint, it would make more sense to me if she was, you know, watching the hospital to see if Poe makes it out. And then he leaves with this woman and she kills the, do you, do you get what I'm saying? Versus her setting herself up there. Look, there's no good reason to think that Poe is ever going to walk out of that hospital room. Like he had his kidney removed in a hotel room. He made it to the hospital. I, I don't know what percentage chance there is that he's even alive to leave. So for her to be there in that way struck me as a little odd, which is why I repeatedly kind of questioned it that Rose White is not an actual person. It is odd, and the only thing, because you really did give me pause, I'm going to say if she was willing to put a well, kill Rose White and put her in the trunk of the car, she was going to break Phineas out that day, period, and he happened to just walk up to her. And that's a good... And I like that. I, I like that better than the other way around that she's just waiting for him, I guess. So that, that makes some, a little more sense. While we're talking about Phidias's odd relationships, um, <clears throat> he meets um, a young lady. I believe she's 19, um, named Eve. So he goes to see his own quack doctor. He's the doctor. That's um, a little bit of a trope, right? It's where all the criminals and like yeah. drug dealers go. Like he's he's not really a doctor, but he kind of knows some stuff. So he goes to see Crumb and she is uh, kind of like Crumb's assistant, but also really just runs the porn shop that his uh, his, you know, practice, for lack of a better term, is, is situated um, inside of. Um, and essentially she takes him bowling and that's really their only in-person interaction i believe the whole time so he asks her to take to a bowling alley because he wants to track down jude um but he <clears throat> and again because i've moved on to penny dreadful um there's an attachment there to to eve and i'm not a hundred percent sure um where it comes from i like it but again this goes back to for me to phineas falling for jude is that anybody that's at some kind of impact on his life has become becomes very very important to him right um thoughts i guess we'll start with misty oh well great i think he is so untethered when he uh meets jude and that uh tragic event of losing a kidney happens to him uh and he's in such a vulnerable state and he knows he can't trust his own mind because he couldn't trust his own mind before he ended up in the asylum. So anyone that takes kindness on him or, or um, is kind to him, he forms an attachment to almost would be my explanation. Rob, thoughts? Um, well, my thought so 
the general idea I have is that like to be to be plain and simple about it, like the dude is filling a wife shaped hole in his life. And so, um, like if he's missing that caring, loving female presence, he's more likely to attach himself to women than men. Maybe like, that's a very simplified thought, but, um, like I, I would say that, but also the book doesn't really present us with many dude characters that are friendly or like that could be kind of like the chummy sidekick kind of thing. Um, but there's also like throughout the discussion of him and his wife's marriage, like the talk about trying to have kids and stuff too. So they're like, and I could be way off the mark on this, but there was, there could have be a little bit of like a paternal, like looking out for someone kind of uh, dynamic to the relationship as well. So uh, if you're looking for, why does this person attach to her more extraordinarily than maybe another person? Um, I would say it's either just, hey, like I lost my wife and I'm kind of adrift here and these people make me feel better. Or it could be um, more like a little bit of like, a, you know, I was I was thinking so much about kids and I want this person's a good person. I want to look out for them. So there could be that like some of that in there, too. Maybe one of, there's one of two directions. Um, so I, I wanted to, to go to something else, but you brought something up that was interesting. Um, that tickled something interesting in my brain. Poe's wife, um, towards the end there, she was a uh, school teacher and she was bringing home young boys, kind of um, <clears throat> luring them back to her place. Um, I, I think kind of to, to substitute for the fact that she couldn't have children, but she definitely used sex as the weapon with which to lure them <clears throat> which i'm not saying that it's unbelievable because people do some fucked up shit but of all the fucked up things that happen in that book it's that that's the one that really kind of struck me as as pretty pretty fucked up and I, I don't i don't even know if there's anything to say to about that like commentary wise I just... the only thing i will say is it is consistent as far as her character goes, because even the introduction, I believe, of her, when Phineas describes her, he talks about her being kinky, and she wore the garters and the little suits, and so there was always, except, oh, you know what? And I take the I should have thought this out before I started talking. So my only issue as I'm going down this thought line is when he does the further flashback to when he met her as an undercover cop and she was a painter and I I did not get the kink impression from her at that time. But for some reason, when he talks about her as a school teacher, um, she seems to have a bit of a, a sexualized character somewhere lurking in her personality. I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that she's terminally ill. So I, I think yeah. I think back to the um the you fight just club connected character. It. Yeah, you did the, it. the fight you, you guys know what I'm talking about the I don't I do. know if she has a name, but in Fight Club there's there's the woman at the cancer treatment that like basically it's like open auditions for like sex partners during a support meeting for can terminal cancer patients. Yeah. Dude, that's the whole thing. So, like, um she's she knows she's gonna die and she wants to feel alive she's looking for those little that's why when she's dancing with the detective 
Yeah. Like she, she's acts all sexy because she knows she can get him worked up and feel desired and feel like alive and, you know, like not think about this awful, awful thing that's going on in her life. So she's, again, yeah. she's also kind of feeling a hole of, of, of needing to feel excitement and alive and stuff like that. Nailed it. Nailed it. Perfect. I love and the fin- way this is going, by the way. Yeah. Just and Phineas is, is shrinking from her in those moments, too, which he's constantly, that's part of his guilt thing. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, he can't perfect. stand watching it happen, so he escapes. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, look at that tight writing. Love it. Tight writing. <laughs> Phineas um, becomes a suspect in a, in a sexual assault on Eve, which is where I was going to go next before this thing about the the high school kids um got me thinking uh so it turns out that we're 99 percent sure that it was a woman um the question becomes uh they're really uh realistically there are two um suspects uh, jude and isabel and i'm not and again misty may may correct me on this and and i know we're going to talk about a necklace at some point but um theories on which one of them may have assaulted Eve? Whichever one of you guys wants to go first. I mean, I don't have a theory. Oh, okay. So, um, Mrs. I'll be like, honest with you. Let me go to you. my eight <laughs> notebooks I used when I wrote when I read this before. She pans over to the whiteboard. <laughs> uh, I honestly, I have. I, I always thought it was Jude. I really did. I think there was a part of me that believes it, it was her because of the villainous side of her and how much she loves Phineas, I feel like, in her way. Um, and that she, in her jealousy, would attack Eve. And then upon this reading, and I'm not saying it's the first time it's happened, I think it was Georgia. I think Georgia, I think Eve came in Something happened between them, but it was not violent. She took her necklace back, and then Georgia and her hallucinatory, whatever she was on, whatever that drug was, when she thought she had rabies, she attacked Eve. And I think even Eve says as much on that last phony, uh, phone call whoop, with Phineas. Phonius. Phonius. <laughs> Um, it's there an interesting. It's an interesting take um, because we never we never cover the necklace, right? So you're right. The book is written very tight. So I don't think that this is a plot hole so much as really left open to uh, to interpretation. Um, my thought, and again, the Georgia thing could very well be. Um, I don't. I don't want to put it on Jude. So I think that Jude does um, a lot of things um, through the course of this book, but I don't know that any of them are just as malicious as what happens to Eve. So when she does something, it is with the goal of ending somebody's life and being done with it and moving on. I don't know that, you know, that she would do something over potential jealousy because there's really nothing going on with Phineas and Eve, right? So Jude could interpret that there is, but I would think if that was the case, if someone put a bullet in Eve's head, I would say, yeah, I could see that being Jude, but just sexually assaulting her with various household objects doesn't lend just itself that. to the character that that I, yeah. I love that. I love that. So, um, Moon. Rob brought up Detective Moon. He's uh, he's probably a good uh, a good character to talk about. Um, 
his relationship with Phineas is kind of interesting because, um, and again, to, to give some background, um, Phineas was a internal, uh, worked for internal affairs, investigating internal affairs, which really made him like the scourge of all police officers. Um, so he was not well loved within, um, you know, his, his place of employment. And to top that all off, um, you know, there's a good portion of them that think he killed his wife. So he's a, uh, uh, a cop that was hated by other cops who then may have murdered his his pretty wife that, you know, a bunch of the cops I'm assuming wanted to have sex with, right? So Moon talks about, you know, uh, about it a little bit um, in, in the book. So I think that Moon just genuinely feels bad for Phineas, that he sees maybe a person before, from before, you know, and can separate the fact that he was a cop investigating cops uh, um, or whatever. And their relationship continues um, past the scope of this book. So um, I just, just, again, kind of wondering what your guys' thoughts are on, on that relationship, maybe the motivations behind it. So uh, as far as, like, character development, uh, this is one of my, uh, one of the ones I like better. Um, specifically what I mentioned earlier when they were talking about the, his, uh, Phineas's wife was dancing up on him and she was getting all sexy. But she, I think she also mentioned that he was, Phineas was in the bathroom and probably going to kill himself. And um, Moon, like, taking the stand of, I'm not going to hook up with this dude's wife, but then not going as far as, oh, this guy's probably killing himself and I should save him. And then the guilt that he carries about that um, was excellent. I thought it was a very um, unique kind of thing, but uh, it did a lot to build the character of Detective Moon and inform all of, like, his decisions so that it's not that he's, like, some good guy that's just looking out for the underdog there's guilt involved too like he was kind of a shitty person and probably he blows it up in his mind more than you know reality but like he feels kind of like he owes it to Phineas in a way to do stuff for him so I, I just thought that was an excellent bit of um, character development in the book probably one of my favorite yeah no, uh, I'm a super fan of Moon. He um, He's one of the more honest uh, characters, I feel like, that are truly supportive of Phineas and trying to help him in a genuine way. And like even when he when uh, Phineas comes out of Pooh's apartment, and Moon is still mm-hmm. a, a, a licensed police officer however you say that, and he's just sitting on the front steps like, dude, I looked through the window, I saw you in there, what the fuck's going on? Sorry if I can't say that. Uh, <laughs> what's going on? And uh, let's sit down here, this coffee's not for you, but you can share it, and uh, then get the hell out of here. So he is, uh, he always gives Phineas the benefit of the doubt, because I think he believes in the the true, genuine spirit of Phineas as well. They're just He's a good, he's not just a uh, well-rounded character, the way that he, even in his limited points in the novel, shows up, but uh, he is a, a wholesome character and amidst a lot of very nasty characters. 
Um, one of the things I like best about that relationship is that, uh, and and maybe maybe I'm wrong, and maybe you guys see this differently, is that Moon cares a lot more about Phineas than Phineas cares about his relationship with Moon. So Phineas attaches himself to Jude, um, to Eve, right? And then here's a guy who has the ability to help him by his vocation, <laughs> you know, like a credible member of the community because he's a detective, and Phineas shies away from him as much as he can. Um, I. This is just like a quick question because I'm pretty sure that Moon is responsible for this. Um, Harry is his name. Harry, I think his name's Harry, is a character that shows up later who claims he is sent by Moon. Are, are we on board? Henry, Henry. sorry, Henry. Yeah, yeah. Are we on? Are we on board with Moon sent this guy to to yeah. look after Phineas? Yes. Okay. Okay. He had but that's what I thought. Information that passed between Moon and Phineas. That mm-hmm. yeah. The the code word eucalyptus is yep. what sealed it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Okay. That's I saw. I was pretty much on that. It came to my mind that, you know, we're we're not a hundred percent. His motivations. Look, look. Let's say as a character, his motivations are weak. Like, you help me get out of this thing, so I'm going to travel across the country following this guy that you kind of like. Like, it, it's it's a little it's a little bit out. I guess there's some other out there things in this book, but that one might be the 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 biggest stretch. Yeah. Um, um, Henry. So Uh-oh. can I before we move away from the detective, I want to bring this up. This is one of like the Rob telling his weird. In interior lifestyle type things you know how we can read a book do you guys picture in your head what the characters look like you have like a general image do you most of the time yeah do you ever like borrow from real life like like people that you know like, you, like no standing no. in for no, no i don't i do so, like actors of anything otherwise i make up so sometimes i fill in the gaps with like people and for some reason and there's no reason that this should be what the detective looks like. It's just what my mind sees. So there was this guy that I used to work with. Oh, my God, Livius. I think you and me both worked with him. And I'm going to do a terrible job describing this dude. But uh, he's African-American, African-American, but very light-skinned. And I swear to you, if there was, like, a human representation of McGruff the crime dog, it was this guy. And... So <laughs> he definitely worked at the place that me and Livia's worked at together at some point. I don't even know the car. I can think of the car the dude drove, and maybe that's part of what um, puts him, puts what his image. What car? He drove a black, uh, it was the Mercury version of, of uh, like a Continental. I think it was a Marauder or something like that. It was like this <laughs> like beefy yeah. black car, like a cop car kind of car. Totes. And yeah. the dude seriously, like, just looked like McGruff the crime dog as a person, and so I just picture that guy, but like in like really loose suits, like you know, like '90s style, like basketball player three piece suits. Love uh, it. That's that's my I, image of the guy. I, I don't. Um, this does not ring a bell for me. So it's possible that that I also <laughs> know this person, but it just doesn't um, doesn't really ring a bell for me. Um, to me, if I had to put a, a character um, appearance to Moon, I, I never even watched the show, but um, Hill Street Blues. There was like a heavy set, yes. balding older guy that wore crumpled suits like that. That's the kind of person that that comes to my mind when I see Moon. I'm with you. It's disheveled. There's there's mm-hmm. disheveled happening. I I always think of like Nick Nolte or it's just something like crazy hair. Yeah. Yeah. Silly tie. Dude, how yeah, do you work I with was... a guy that looks like McGruff the Crime Dog and forget that? I don't. Do you remember that guy's name? No. 
Okay, all right. I'll say maybe if you threw me a name. No, but yeah, no, I, no. I, yeah, I'm sure it'll we'll come fail. to you. I'll wake. I'll wake up to a weird message. Like, yeah. That Rob sent me at three thirty in the morning. Um. So uh, <laughs> I mentioned this a little bit earlier. So the the final narrative that Poe tells us about what happened to his wife is that um, he had taught her to shoot because you know he was a cop and he had a gun. Um, but he says basically she tried to take her own life and failed and that ultimately he's the one that killed her after a couple of hours of sitting in a boat with her with, you know, part, part of her head blown off. Um, we, we hear many versions of what happened through the course of the book or things are alluded to and they're always through some uh, drug induced um, uh, hallucination or, or dream that, that Phineas is having. Do we believe his final? Do, do we? Rob, do you believe that that's how it went down? I'd like you to go to me first because you know Misty knows. Um, well, I mean, the story doesn't... I mean, the story changes from telling to telling, but not, like, drastically so. I think for the most part, like, um, if you look at the way that the story is told, um, the variations aren't... Uh, um, I'm trying to think of what I'm trying to fucking say here. I tell you, I lost my train of thought in the middle. Um, there's kind of a foundational story that's the same all the time. And it's just a matter of like a little detail of like what happened when or who was doing what. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like it makes sense if she, um, cause like they painted, he, he's a coward about their relationship already. So he's not going to have the strength to kill her, to put her out of her misery, even if she begs for it. Like that's, that's basically, that's pretty obvious. But at some point she's going to reach a breaking point where she just can't handle it anymore and tries to do it herself. Um, I think that the last telling of that story is awesome because he puts some time in between she shot herself and he got up the nerve to shoot her again to end it. So the truth in that is even when it's the best thing for her, he still can't bring himself that's to do it. Bad. So I, I think that's what I like about that one um, is that it's realistic about how he would have to like push himself to to get to that point. Misty. All right. So here's what's interesting about. <laughs> so he did not put her out of her misery. Actually, in that final retelling, like Rob just um, alluded to, he waits the bullet skittered around in her head didn't kill her and he is watching her suffering which he's been doing for years anyway and it all comes back to that metaphor i brought up earlier about the wounded frog in the forest and do you crush it and put it out of its misery or do you take it to water and even in those final moments he did not have the the balls the whatever to put her out of her misery and she actually dies from her own gunshot wound and when he shoots her it's it's too late she's already passed and she's already suffered and that's the reason that he's carrying around so much guilt like the compounding amount of guilt of his failure to act so many times to save his wife in one form or fashion or another and again i'm going to round that back to i think that's why jude is such an attractive character to him because she does not hesitate and and he always does and then he just beats himself up about it forever so that's kind of 
Ooh, it's a driving force of the book, and I think it takes him for so long to tell the truth, even to himself, because even in those final moments, he failed. He's too so weak. You don't, so you don't think he shot her, or you don't, don't think he shot her while she was alive? She was not alive when he shot her. All right. So now I'm going to go back to... I'm going to go back to Misty because, um, full disclosure, uh, I, I didn't get the ending of this book the first time I read it, and I didn't get the ending of this book the second time I read it. The third time I read it, um, I think I finally tied it together. So I'm going to read to you, um, oh. talking about spoilers, I'm going to read the last fucking paragraph of a book that we're talking about on this podcast. This so is hard for me to do. My face is still marked with Henry's blood, and I bend over this boy as if I'm taking a drink from a fountain in the park. I brush his nearly dead lips, and they are dry as the back of my hand. His tongue barely touches mine and pulls away like a thief. And, oh, Lucy, if you had only asked me for this. If she had just asked him for a kiss instead of to kill her. I don't know about that. <laughs> I feel like so no, it and that's well. That's a discussion. Bad. I mean, you could left. That's it, 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 it may be. So I'm going to present a, a different a, a different thought on this. Know that Lucy asked Phineas to kill her. I mean, we don't know that. We don't know anything, right? Because it's a very unreliable narrator. But I don't think we know that. Um, the boy wants. I'm pretty sure wants Phineas to kill him. I mean, are we agreed on that? We're not agreed on that. We don't think that the kid <laughs> wants to send his life. All right. Okay. So my take, and it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you my take anyway. I think the kid wants to be killed. And I think that that's what Phineas wishes Lucy would have asked him to do instead of trying to do it herself. I think what I love so much about that is exactly why I love this book so much. Mm -hmm. There is so much up for interpretation that can be subjective based on your reading of the characters, the words, the the narrative. So much of it is up to your own interpretation. I think that's fantastic. But I do disagree. Can I... I want to clarify something because I was half paying attention, half, like, enjoying the, the lovely uh, lighting I have in the background. So, Livius, you think he wanted to die and wanted Phineas to kill him. Am I getting that? And you're muted. <laughs> I actually think that he wanted Jude to kill him, um, but I think he would have taken it wherever he could get it at that point. So that's where I was going to go, because if Jude's the one that doesn't hesitate, and she wants to like just get shit done, if he wanted to die, she would have killed him. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that there's a difference between the people Jude kills and this this you know little puppy dog of a boy, that you know what I mean. So I I, I look, she has no problem killing um, Henry, right? And she has no problem killing you know whoever else in this book. But none of them. This goes back to my thought about why I don't think she assaulted Eve. Is I think that at a certain point, like she does shit that needs doing, but I think that there's a little bit of heart in her. And she doesn't see him as an adversary. I'm going to challenge that. And this is a very weak challenge, but it's good for discussion. Um, this fucking little kid knew that that his siblings are basically out there running around trying to buy a kidney off of some thief. 
to keep the guy alive, even yeah. though he says he has AIDS and it doesn't matter. So, like, there's not a lot of, yeah. like, like that pulls some of the sympathy away from this dying kid, who's also practically an adult anyway. Yep. Um, I was interested in Lucius Gore. Lucius, right? Am I saying that right? The father? Yeah. Well, he's made up. Damn it, I was reading it as Luscious. Yeah. Maybe that's just me. Uh, I think it's supposed to sound like Lucifer. I think he's supposed to be kind of like a big, uh, looming evil figure. So I kind of went Lucifer, Lucius. And then he, he... Turns out to be this decrepit old man who's really, really nice. Like yeah. he's broke, but he's like super. He's like, yeah, come on in. Oh, you're friends of my kid. Come on in, have dinner. Why? You know, like, I really like that. That um, and, and again, it's hard to go back to my first reading of this book and remember what I was thinking. But but even through the course of this, I'm like, yeah, he was built up to be kind of a the big bad. This is who Jude and Phineas are going to have to face off against to end this whole story arc. And no, not really. He like invites him in and like feeds him and tells him a sad story about how all his money's gone. He gave the last of his money to his, his two bumbling idiot kids who are trying to secure a, a kidney for his other bumbling idiot kid. Right. Like, so I thought that was an interesting, um, I guess a bit of misdirection uh, on the part of Bear yeah. when he was um, when, when he was telling this story. And like I said, it's hard to go back to your first reading. And I know that Gore is is a is a a, a teddy bear um, going into this. Might like I said, whatever fifth reading or something. But yeah, it was it was an interesting um, bit of misdirection. Yeah, it was. He, damn it! I thought I had something to say. The thing I like, I love it when there are characters like this that. Um, illustrate that there's not always something bigger going on that uh, like the the motivations of a of a meager individual can lead you down paths that you wouldn't necessarily anticipate so um the fact that like they have enough money to make this happen um puts them on a course where you would you would expect it to be some rich evil person when really it's just some some down home shit going on yeah, and um, something else, and I hope I say this uh, in a way that does it judgment, but uh, or does it just justice. Um, you know, this novel is is written in a minimalist way. It's so short. I mean, it, there's not a lot to it, not a lot of meat. But the Lucius character and the way that his children are written really give you a full arc of their whole family tree. And, and why they are the way that they are. And again, the craftsmanship of how these characters are introduced and developed and then rounded out at the end is, is beautiful. It's fantastic. Yeah, so people who, I don't know why you'd be listening to this if you weren't familiar <laughs> with, the, with the story, but if you are, you're probably thinking like, man, Phineas and this thing with his wife, totally dysfunctional, Jude dysfunctional, right? But nothing like the gore family Mm-mm. the gore family are, are like tertiary characters that are are like the um like the family from the texas chainsaw massacre almost like one is just more fucked up than the other but the patriarch of the family is like this withered old basically a blind uh, disabled um man who just is caring for his young um aids ridden kidney needing um son right but yeah, that the most dysfunctional characters in the book are that are that family, in in my opinion. Mm-hmm. One hundred. 
the true villains. Is there anything else story-wise? So that covers all the little notes I made. What do you guys have story-wise? I, 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 I want to say one thing. I don't remember the character's name. But one of my favorite characters in this reread uh, is one of those like kind of um, ancillary characters that only serves one specific purpose. And it's the guy that works in the clothes shop. Alexander! Alexander. That guy... Um, he represents what a normal person is. Like he is such an excellent example of a normal person with a good heart because like he sees this guy who's literally falling apart. And for anybody yeah. who hasn't read this book, who for some reason is listening to or watching this discussion, Phineas Poe is the most destroyed character in the history of like destroyed characters. And yeah. this Alexander guy should just kick him out. Uh, the money gives him pause because he sees a big fat stack of money. So he decides, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help this dude. But then he's super nice to him, and he goes way beyond. Like, he sees the, he sees him laying in the street, passed out. And, you know, calls the ambulance, goes with him to the hospital. But he is repaid for his kindness, exactly how you would expect for him to be repaid, which is with just disappointment. Like, Phineas can't be nice to the person that's nice to him. Yeah. Uh, but that that Alexander character, if you ask me, is one of, the, like, the best characters in the book. <laughs> I will say that he is a great character and, and leads to one of my favorite scenes, which is where Phineas pulls a gun and demands an x-ray at the hospital. <laughs> like, it's, it's, that whole yeah. scene, I, there's a little bit of, of um, I think, comedic levity in that that you don't get through most of, of this book. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just such a such a great, great scene. Misty's probably got something, I'm sure. Oh, it's just, well, you, you made the comment of not much comedic. See, I, the character of Phineas, the way that uh, his mind works to me is hysterical. Every time, every one of his comments, the way that he interprets things in his brain and it comes out on the page, I think uh, a lot of it is comical and, and witty and clever and funny. Dude. So I laugh a lot every time I read this book. I chuckle to myself. The way he interacts with frozen yogurt? Come on. Yeah, his his inner his inner dialogue is is, is yes, lends itself um to, to be a little bit on the funny side and but like overwhelmed by the disturbing shit going on in his life, which is the I think the real kicker. Like funny That's stuff fair. in the middle of drug induced hallucinations. So Yeah. Yeah. It's been an hour. Uh, We've been talking about this book for an it hour. It has. I know, and I, I didn't know if we I didn't know if we could pull off an hour um, on this. I have a couple other things, and again, obviously, anything you guys want to talk about, but um, this one, I don't know. I guess I'll mostly direct this to, to Misty. Um, so there was an online community called the Velvet um, that was around for several years, and it was the, if I remember correctly, it was the online home of uh, Will Christopher Bear, Craig Clevenger, and Stephen Graham Jones. Let's talk about the word velvet. So uh, there's an interesting thing because it's hard if you know that not to notice the word velvet. That's a very nice sticker Rob is holding up. It is a the velvet sticker, um, which I'm sure he obtained through some unscrupulous means. Whoa. Yeah, I don't even have one, by the way. Continue. What, well, insult injury. I don't even remember how I got it. So <laughs> suck it. There, there you go. <laughs> um. So the Velvet um, 
you know, it felt like it came up a lot. So I, I, I'm assuming we're pre-programmed to see it. But um, I have all three Kindle versions of this book. And I read this in its Kindle format, despite the two um, hardcovers that are sitting on my shelf. Um, it comes up seven times in Kiss Me, Judas. It comes up 12 times in Penny Dreadful. And any guesses at how many times in Hell's Half Acre? Oh, shit. Well, by that it's on. By that point, it's on purpose. Are we doing prices right rules? One dollar. Sure, one dollar. Rob would be closest with his guess of one dollar. Thirty times, it comes up in Hell's Half Acre, and that's not for me reading it. That's literally I searched. I actually searched to see how many times it came up with this book, and the Kindle searched all the books in my Kindle library, and I was like, well, holy shit, it comes up thirty times in Hell's Half Acre. So I had to look, and I was like, it comes up twelve times in Penny Dreadful. So yes, I would have to imagine. Um, that it's on purpose. Um, what do we? Th- I mean, how did that? <sighs> yeah, for the etymology of, of of the naming. Of well, the yeah. So is it is it that an online community was built called the Velvet, and then that that led? I mean, we don't know, right? And and who, God, who knows if if Bear even knows, right? Like, I don't. I, it's just I thought it was interesting because like I said seven times in this book, twelve, and then thirty. Wait. Isn't there's got to be a quote somewhere about the worms and binds? Thing, yeah, right? that's somewhere. Mm-hmm. Where where is it? This is where I'm not a historian, but here's the thing. So it was called Welcome to the Velvet.com, and that name is it goes back to 2004 because I believe that's the creation of the forum. But I cannot tell you where the name came from. However, if Chris started using it more and more. I could see why um, if his books were published later and it was kind of a, a reference to the community um, or his site or maybe like George Costanza. He just really likes Velvet. I'm not sure. I don't know how you compared Will Christopher Bear to George Costanza. I don't know him, but from reading his books, I would have to say um, that that's maybe not... Wait, no. there was there was distance between the second and third book, right? Because I feel like the first two came out close to each other, but the third one there was more of a gap. One hundred. There was a hundred years between. I think that's how the cool kids say for sure. Oh, you're doing um, so a little, interestingly like, enough, yeah. Interestingly enough, yeah. the Kindle found no references to worms and binds, but I've heard that. But that's also a song by William Control. Can you look up Warmed and Bound? I mean, I can, but I get the feeling that that's just going to pull up references to a anthology. Man, if only we had someone who knew. Exactly. If you were a historian, I feel like Jesse might be a little. So if anybody knows Jesse or anybody else, I will say that the only reference I find for the Velvet Worms and Binds, which I have heard, Rob, and I think I'm pretty sure I heard it in that community, um, is the song by William Control called The Velvet Worms and Binds. But wasn't that a person that was just inspired by the community to like, or like a fan of, or my way back? This is me not knowing shit. Like, sure. No. And I'm reading the lyrics of this song and I don't really see, I mean, Obviously, you can force some things, right? Like, I'd probably pick any song and then try to make some kind of reference back to, to Phineas and Jude. 
I don't see anything in this song that that screams to me that it was somehow inspired by by Kiss Me Judas. Okay. No, and Misty, do uh, you, do you see what me in your in your background? I do. Yeah. My cute ponytail. <laughs> that being said, I wanna I wanna correct myself because I wound up putting in adding kiss me judas to the velvet worms and binds and william control also wrote a song called kiss me judas so i mean that would be a hell of a that would be a a hell of a coincidence i guess if it wasn't somehow inspired um it wouldn't surprise me if worms and binds comes from the form itself and not from the literature it's possible totally possible because it it um, if you want to talk about that, just the little bit of history that I know <laughs> um, is that, you know, it fractured off of the cult, which was the Chuck Palahniuk Forum. And uh, as you described, it was originally the home of Will Christopher Bear, Craig Clevenger, and Stephen Graham Jones. But it um, wasn't a fan site so much as it was a hub and a uh, fostering place for writers and through things like Write Club, which I I think you guys are very familiar with, it became really um, this this warm, supportive, binding place for creative thinkers. And it it didn't even have to be uh, writers of fiction. I mean, I don't write fiction. Jesse Lawrence doesn't write fiction, but we were very much a part of this community where we came together to share ideas and there were short stories born there, there were novels born there, there were anthologies that were born there. It was such a nucleus of, of just creativity. It was a really beautiful place. So Worms and Binds, I can imagine, really came from what that community became as opposed to what those authors writ, wrote in their, in their novels. Sorry. I was disappointed when I was reading. I was waiting for that to come up in the book, and I was like, where the fuck is it? Yeah. So it ruined the whole experience for me. But I could be totally wrong, and you might have a comment on here or or an email later that says, oh, no, Misty is way off. Worms and Binds is on this page right here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We get the worst fucking historians ever. I'm not going to say that. I think Misty has done a good job. I think it's uh, concerning. I a good job. <laughs> I uh, put that on my resume. Good job. I uh, I was thrown off by the fact that Thrift Books has a listing for Godspeed, which was to be the fourth um, novel released by Will Christopher Bear that, for reasons, didn't uh, didn't make it out. I don't think you can actually buy it, but there is a cover, and uh, it's a pretty blue cover with a woman and. Maybe a nightgown standing on a street um, that should have been out in November of 2007, some 13 years ago. So uh, I know there are a lot of people looking forward to that. Um, I think that uh, recently there might be people that have become somewhat hopeful that they'll see that. I don't know. Uh, I don't know that I count myself among the hopeful that will ever see um, Godspeed. Um, but there will be a new book. Um, by Will Christopher Bear forthcoming, which is very exciting and, and slightly the catalyst for, for doing this. As a matter of fact, Rob had mentioned that we hadn't talked about this book um, prior to that news. So no, um, it no, was that... coming when we did. No, we, we talked about it. So I, I went back. 
for the sake of not being some sort of like Johnny come lately, I wanted to make sure that. So in our ninth anniversary episode was when I said, can't believe we haven't done Kiss Me Judas. That was in March. Yep. Will's son. It wasn't until May, like this month that talked yeah, about. That's like, what I was saying. Yep. Uh, you made it sound like we did it because of that. No, no, no. Look, I, I mean, I, I think we may have moved it up a little bit in, in where we wanted to do it because of news, but we were definitely in talks to do this months yeah. before before this news surfaced. Um, yeah, we're not opportunists. We're just lazy. I mean, I'm a little bit of an opportunist. Um, that being said, uh, I, I really had a good time, but, and I think that structure-wise this worked. Again, I know this is for a limited audience, right? If you haven't read the book, you, you know, uh, hopefully you're, you're going out and trying to obtain a copy. Um, it is not currently in print. Um, who knows? Hopefully that'll change over the course of the next year or so. Um, you can get, and again, I don't want to be admonished for this, but if you do really want to read it, you can go to Amazon. You can buy an ebook copy. Uh, will Christopher Bale, Bear will receive zero dollars for that copy that you buy, um, but there really is no other way other than tracking down a used copy. I know Rob was on a books recently, and you can get a copy for it's, for pretty reasonable yeah, price. It's pretty easy to get a hold of um, used copies of the books. Actually, it's funny. Me and Livius were hanging out uh, in a town near us uh, one time. We wandered into a bookstore and stumbled across a copy of Kiss Me Judas that Livius was waving around in one of our previous episodes. So like they're out there in the wild, but also, yeah, you can find them used pretty, pretty easily online and not for a bank breaking amount of money, like less than 10 bucks, probably with shipping. Yep. Um, I will go into, I know we mentioned it, but the, the story does follow up. I don't know, nine months, 10 months later with Penny dreadful. And then uh, with hell's half acre, not sure what the time frame is, but if you want more Phineas Poe after kiss me, Judas, there are, um, those two kind of same deal. You can ebook them, or you can uh, you can try to track down copies in the wild. I'm surprised Rob hasn't pulled out his omnibus edition to to flex with um, during the course of my, this discussion. I, I wait, wait, myself. what is I that you have myself. in your hand? Oh, there it is. Misty's not impressed. She's got her own copy. Yeah, I do. We just can't it's see it. Not that pristine. Here's what's funny. Oh no! Look, I... it's the spine is doing the same thing. It's doing that like. No, 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 mine's peel. way worse, and I'm not gonna, I don't, it's not conveniently located for me to just reach and grab, but I used to carry that in my trunk because we did not have smartphones at the time, and we didn't have Kindles, and I was such an obsessive reader, and I enjoyed reading, rereading books, especially if I was stuck somewhere, that I always had to have an arsenal of books around me on me at all times so i always had a giant purse with at least two or three books in it my trunk had books in it if i am stranded somewhere as long as i had my car my phineas poe omnibus was with me and like i could a, like disappear. a dead nurse and i could disappear <laughs> into the phineas poe trilogy at any time it was one of my favorite places to go and for all, all the people listening right now or watching, she's single. So <laughs> if that sounds like the type of girl that you could see in your life, maybe take a shot. Who knows? There you go. Who knows? Can You're we talk welcome. about... Can You're we? Welcome, Misty. Can we talk... All right. So we've talked a lot about the book. We talked about a little bit about the velvet and stuff like that. But we, I, 
I feel like I'm more of an outsider with the whole Will Christopher Bear, um, uh, especially the Phineas Poe stuff, uh, than, than most people. There is fucking obsessed people. Like, obsessed. Yeah. Can we talk and... about, like... So, I'll give you an example. Uh, I went to... It was one of the trips that we all went on with us and our author friends. I think it was the first uh, L.A. trip. I think it was uh, 2012 or whatever. I was roommates with our friend Roger. And uh, it was the first time I met her in person, like a little bit of online interaction and stuff like that. But first time I met him in person. And by the time I got in to the hotel and everything, he was already sleeping. So, like we really met kind of the next morning and uh he's probably apparently a little bit more of an early riser than me because by the time i woke up uh i go into the bathroom he had already had a shower so like you got the nice steamy mirror and he had written with his finger the call 911 note and that's the first that was like my first introduction to this dude was that and so like I guess what I'm getting at is, especially the people that we as a podcast kind of attached ourselves to in the initial years, uh, a lot of people obsessed with these books. And definitely, I would say that much in the way that probably Fight Club inspired a generation of writers, these books probably inspired people as well to do their own writing projects and stuff would you agree like there is that obsession but there's also that like kind of shock waves of of inspiration uh 100 percent. i don't think livius did you have a comment on it yeah i mean i think rightfully so um yeah so i'm not at all surprised because <laughs> uh-uh. I, I think that i think that character of phineas poe is is inspirational um enough but yes i think there's some people that are, are way into it i'm a huge fan um not that obsessive look there's there's stuff circulating on the internet short stories and, and things that, that you can obtain if you look really hard or or, or whatever and, and i understand that we're probably gonna see some of those I, i've had access to them if not taken taken a dive into them but i'm sure that there are people that can tell us all about i know there's i believe there's another short story that jude features in if i remember correctly um I, interesting to see how that ties in and maybe if that answers some of the 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 questions that that maybe come up around the story but yeah i'm sure there are people that have picked over it with a fine tooth comb um this is the most analytical look I've taken at it, um, knowing that we were going to have this discussion. I mean, I read this, uh, you know, I think more closely than I do, you know, the average book we review because we review books, um, you know, like people read them, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, so I, I think there are people who have gone over this numerous times. I think there are questions that have come up that there are people that would have an even more um, elaborate answer to than the three of us were able to come up with for sure. Misty. Um, no, I pre- uh, you guys hit wonderful points. I think there is often with anything in the noir umbrella an obsessive quality to it. I think that the audience that gravitates towards that genre, if if I can say that, um, already has a certain personality type often that is obsessive in itself but 
Uh, I am going to say one more time just the uh, because obviously there were with the velvet for instance there were three authors there that have multiple books well Christopher Bear has written more than one book but Kiss Me Judas is the one that people are always talking about obsessing over and I think it's the execution um, you, the unreliable narrator in a non-linear narrative and the way he crafts it just is better than, than anything I've ever read before or since because I read it again and it still blew my mind at points. Just the vividness the characters, all of it. You know, you have your new, um, I looked at it through the lens of your new, because um, I thought we were going to rate it. <laughs> the rating system? You know, the rating <laughs> system. And it just, the only thing it missed on that is the audience. It's a limited yeah. audience, 100%, but everything else is is spot on 10 out of 10 every time. Um, it is an exceptionally written book. And so I think you also have people who admire the the craft of writing, the craft of storytelling, the importance of storytelling, the importance of characters. Uh, so there there's there's a lot to be obsessed about. And I opened that door for a very specific reason because I wanted to talk about that. Like this book, in my opinion, does a lot of stuff that if it weren't well written, would be things that I would like ding it for. Like there's a lot of rule breaking that in a lesser uh quality story i would have been like oh this person's just trying to be flashy they're overwriting yeah. it because for the sake of overwriting it to seem dramatic without substance but there's yeah. substance and so it's like it's not only forgivable but it's like it's in a it's a it's a legitimate style and so i opened that door because i wanted to say like this is a fucking rule breaking book there's a lot of things that i don't like when authors do that he did but he got away with because mm -hmm. he actually wrote uh, a continuously engaging story that was yeah it hit all of like the marks like you were saying so um, he got to break the rules because he did it he earned breaking the rules Livius yeah. mentioned even even down to quotation marks yeah so I um Rob, have you seen Fractured? No. Hey, before Misty. we before we move on to that mm -hmm. topic, I want to point out uh, we do have a comment from Colin McKay Miller that says Peeps were real split on Penny Dreadful. I thought it was the worst. Many thought it was the best. I love so, Penny Dreadful. A little food for thought on that one. Yeah, Penny Wait, Dreadful is a. Is that the game one? Yes. Yeah, yeah that was my least favorite. Ah, uh, is it because eh? you missed Jude? Is that why? Because I hated it's, it at first. <laughs> it's um, just the story didn't speak to me as much. I, I think I liked. Uh, okay. uh, I would go. I think yeah, if, if in books one, two, three, I would go one, three, two in order of how I rank them. As a Westworld fan, I am surprised it's a role-playing game. <sighs> yeah, but anyway, sorry, didn't mean to derail. Uh, I just wanted to acknowledge Colin's think... comment. Thank you. No, and, and that's and that's good for discussion, too, because I'm, like I mentioned earlier, a third of the way into it, right? It's, um, it can be off-putting, yeah. especially if you read them back-to-back, because -back, the structure changes. 
Yeah. 100%. So you go to multiple points of view. Um, Phineas remains a, a, a first-person um, narrative, while the other ones are, are third-person. There's that same unreliability, especially as you get into the book, because there are people playing other people, and it feels like it's written in two different worlds. Eve is Eve actually participates as two separate characters. Um, so it's very different. And if you read them the way I did originally, because I found out about this, I knew there were three books I read. KMJ, Red Penny D, Red Hell's Half Acre. Hell's Half Acre kind of takes that step back to a more similar style of storytelling um, that Kiss Me Judas had, with Penny Dreadful being the um, the redheaded stepchild of the bunch. That being said, that game is really fucking cool, and there's an yeah. element there that he didn't capture in either of the other books that that yeah. that stands alone. Um, Wait, so what you I'm, know, amongst amongst the trilogy, what I'm hearing is we're going to do follow up episodes on both of those books are we going to do all three because that's the only way i'm reading those other two books in the near future i love it game game of tongues coming next week no um i don't know if we're going to do that i I can imagine i can see a scenario where i would be driven to do that but that scenario has not materialized yet so um that's 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 what i'll say um as far as as far as I am. That, I'm that, like, that, what that, scenario is required for this beautiful discussion that we're having? I mean, Rob, Rob, Rob is completely frozen on my screen. There you are, Misty. Did you see Fractured? Yes. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a source, but Rob may or may not be familiar with what Fractured is. Um, Fractured is a movie about a down-and-out guy whose kidney is stolen by a woman who he chases down and falls in love with. If this sounds very familiar to Kiss Me Judas, it is widely believed to be just blatant plagiarism. I might be confusing the Ryan Gosling fracture. Oh, oh you might be, because that's not what I'm talking about. Because I was like, how is he going to tie this in? No, there I, was a movie, I and I, know I saw it. What you're referring ago. to, and yep. I did not watch it. Um, Holy shit! Yeah, there's a lot so of fractured I, on IMDb. I'm just gonna say that right now. Yeah. No, I. Yeah. Was, so this would be the one from 2007. I don't know if 2007's right. Ish. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find the first thing that I found just to make sure I had the right name was a. Uh, a uh, lit reactor um, article that actually quotes Gordon Highland um, in it uh, through the course of this. Why am I not seeing like a director name or anything? Did he use a pun in the quote? Was there a pun in the quote? Uh, I'm not reading the quote. Maybe. Um, But yeah, I mean, I remember seeing it and thinking, yeah, this was a poorly um, delivered. Uh, Rob, if you're on IMDb, Christopher, uh, Trunnell, T-R-U-N-E-L-L plays um, the the main character, the Phineas Poe-like character named Val. If that helps you find uh, not, find I'm information. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess if you guys didn't see it, there's not a whole lot to talk about the. And I know this is a sore spot with fans uh, of the book, but the movie was not good, um, and, and did appear to be a very blatant ripoff of. Mm-hmm of kiss me judas which is uh which is unfortunate uh, i mean if you're gonna make a movie the first person that comes to mind is christopher nolan and that's and i mentioned this last week i just watched um 
Memento, which, you know, the character of Memento reminds me a little bit of, of Phineas Poe and the, you know, and the unreliable storytelling and, and stuff. So, um, but I guess that one's a little dead in the water if my two co-hosts have not seen it. Oh, it says here that um, the original title for the movie Fracture was Velvet, which is weird. I'm kidding. It's <laughs> yeah. totally a joke. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. I, I do feel like there was a rumor long ago um, that Brad Pitt actually read a um, a screenplay version of Kiss Me, Judas, and was interested in it, but it was too much like his fight club or seven character. Anyway, there was, it was right around, you know, all of the David Fincher films, fight club seven and that very dark noirish, or I guess it's postmodern noirish. A well that everybody was going to. Uh huh. I want to acknowledge Colin says, um, to be fair, the cliche of waking up in a bathtub full of ice slash the stolen organ was something I heard about pre kiss me Judas as well, which is Mm -hmm. true. I mean, that's fair. Um, and by the way, hi, Colin. Is it, I, I know who that is. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I think that the what Livius is getting at is that the timing of the movie versus the book and like yeah. the parallels that it draws are far beyond like the trope that the, that the narrative hangs on or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, read you, I'll read you Gordon Highland's quote. I got it off Netflix <laughs> upon its release and made a detailed log of its thieveries, utterly shocked by how it was ripped directly from the book, not vaguely inspired by, and nary a mention of its source material. Several of us went on a campaign to get it killed. I started by going directly to their distributor, having the most to lose, I figured, whom I have to imagine were completely unaware of its plagiarism, followed by several other outlets, and whether it was through those actions or whatever, the option-holding production company may have threatened. I know nothing specific. It vanished soon after. I assume this was something I could rent and watch before we did this episode for, for more discussion. And yeah, it's, it's nowhere to be found. I, I'm sure there are probably DVDs circulating on eBay or something, but it's not available through any type of rental, whatever the three or four services I use. I was unable to find it on any of them. If there, um, once again, I'm going to fail as a historian. I have two comments. One, before I go to the, that film, Gordon Highland also, I believe, was interviewed after The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, so, it's very it true. Before, it was before. He's, we he's a great, yeah. great film critic. That, but I pushed um, him in front of that camera. <laughs> no surprise. But um, if it, uh, if there was a group, then there might have been some kind of, if not a full lawsuit, at least the uh, indication of one. And I could see any of the publishers going after them, whether it was Viking or McAdam Cage or, or what have you, that, you know, rights and all that good stuff. That might be why you can't find it, I guess is what I'm saying. Quite possible. Okay, I want to, Colin Colin um, made another comment. So he's like the unofficial fourth, fourth host right now. I love this. Uh, first of all, he says, hi, big pretty. So I'm assuming. It is Colin from <laughs> Denver. I met him in Denver. Yes, I used to be. Okay. That was one of my nicknames was big pretty because oh, of my big pretty teeth. I was blushing, but I, apparently he was talking about you. Um, he says, do y'all think that Bear's supposed new work is going to hold up? Or do you think you've aged out in parentheses uh, for several <laughs> authors slash musicians? Honestly, that is like. I have to imagine that that is like the burning question for everybody is you've built up this author in your mind for so long. And especially with like the way that 
and I'm not as familiar with other people as as other people would be but with like Godspeed and like the almost constant anticipation of release um yeah it's it's that thing that Livius talks about where the thing that's been waited for so long doesn't have a chance of of standing up to your no. expectations it doesn't and so yeah realistically I think everybody is is worried about that um, and imagine also Bear would be as well because he can't be oblivious to um, all of the anticipation and all of the um, the community uh, like want and desire for more stuff yeah. for him yeah so. it, and it'll be interesting to see how this book is his next book is presented right so it is um, it, it's based on work that he's done so it's um, not going to be fiction um, but I, I think it might read a little bit like fiction so it, it'll be interesting to see um, I agree I don't think I think at a certain point Godspeed could not live up to the hype um, but Bear you know reemerging for lack of a better term after so many years I don't know what the expectations are. I'm excited to read new stuff by him, but I think in the back of my mind, I'm going to say this is a guy who's, uh, you know, the last book that he wrote that I read and loved is, you know, at the point that comes out, what, 15 years old? Maybe maybe longer than that. I don't remember when Hell's Half Acre, what the release date was, but it's, it's been some time. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I hope that I and, and Rob, because obviously we're going to do something with it here on the podcast, um, and others will be able to take into consideration that it is a standalone and not tie it as much to the author whose books we loved 20 plus years ago. Yeah. Um, my couple of comments on that. Uh, number one, echo the same sentiment about Godspeed. Legend status at this point. This, I, I don't want to see it, to be honest with you. I want it to actually like drift away into the heavens and us never see it because it'll never live up. But uh, he has uh, previously written other things besides the three novels. He uh, published short stories and also essays. And his uh, essays were tremendously wonderful. So I am excited by potential nonfiction if they're in the same form. We know he can. he's a hell of a writer. Uh, so I, I believe his his craft is going to show no matter what what he picks whether it's fiction or not that's that's what i'm hoping for but the big concern is is it going to resonate with you where you've moved on in your life in a specific direction and the author has gone in their life in a specific direction is that work still going to resonate with you the way that the other stuff did and no one can answer that until you actually read it uh mm -hmm. to know for sure um, and that's, that's really, it's disappointing when you've, when you've had a passion for something and then subsequent work just doesn't, it's not that it's bad. It's just, it's not for you. Um, yeah. and it's like, it's disappointing because you want to love it. You want to support the person that you, uh, that you, you're there to support. But, uh, I mean, sometimes things just don't sit right and there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing the author can do about it. It's just the way that or author, creator, whatever it is, musician. I was going to say, I feel like you're talking about Tori Amos to me right now. <laughs> I'm talking about the series Penny Dreadful, but I mean, insert disappointing artist here. Like, and that's honestly like, that's the thing too, is like the artist isn't, 
disappointing in in the fact that they changed. It's disappointing that you don't connect with the yes. material the way that you used to. So there's nobody yeah. to blame. It is just victims of circumstance. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, you can do everything you can to give the author or whoever a benefit of the doubt um, and go in with as open a mind as possible, the lowest expectations possible. But, like, it's possible that it's just not for you. So who knows? Yeah. Lamb syndrome. That's that's what I've been thinking oh. about that as since we interviewed Christopher Moore. But listen, I really like your book, not as much as Lamb, but I really liked oh. it. And, and I mean, I can't imagine that there won't be some of that regarding oh, well. um, Bear's future work, right? So, but on the positive, like optimistic side, is that where you were going, Misty? Yes, I have an example as well. But go ahead, go, please. Oh, um, I was just going to go back to musicians. Fiona Apple's new album. Catch the bolt cutters, nothing, nothing at all like title. Her first album from you know yeah. however long ninety seven something. It was, yeah, I was, yeah. Um, extraordinary hit me in ways I was not prepared for in a physical, visceral bot like I just. So there's still there's a possibility that Bear is gonna knock it out of the park. There's just, I think, undeniably a lot of pressure. So we'll see what happens. Um, Bear, if you're listening, no pressure, man. Do your work. Well, put it out there. People love it or they won't. That's the thing. I like from a from a, a writer's perspective, like we have talked to a lot of authors over the years. We've talked to authors who've had that taste of like um, mm. infamy and then yeah. had a gap. And then yeah. and there's as much probably there's there's far more um, so we're like, like being self-conscious or yeah. doubting yourself, self-doubt, um, to the, to the artist coming back because they don't count on this is going to work with the audience the way that that worked with the audience. They're basically looking at it as like, I'm starting from, you know, scratch, scratch. This is a brand new thing. So like I have to imagine being the artist, there's so much, uh, it's an intimidating process to even want to do it because of all of the barriers and obstacles and like even just the obstacle of time um it's got to be pretty fucked up yeah and i mean it's like it's like a penalty you pay for writing something that's iconic so the first one of the first thing i did we call like I said, Lamb specifically about Stephen Hall, right? His, you know, follow-up to the Ross Shark text 15 years down the line or whatever it is. There are people that will not accept that new book as great and, and might even slight it because it's not as good as the Ross Shark text. Look, right. a whole lot of books aren't. Ross Shark text, one of my favorite books. Kiss Me <laughs> Judas, one of my favorite books. Look, I don't expect it to be the raw shark text i don't expect it to immediately be one of my favorite books but god damn it i like the way the guy writes and i'm gonna read it and i'm gonna treat it if i enjoy the book i enjoy the book regardless of you know what i could potentially compare daniel lewski how is he gonna top house of leaves i was never hoping you would say never that. it doesn't matter no, you can write you five can. volumes of the familiar and you know what the, the books the familiar books we read they were they were good in parts they weren't great in parts little blue kite was great there's a bunch it's never going to be House of Leaves. Christopher Moore will probably not write another lamb. And that's, um, you know, is it unfortunate? Sure, kind of. That being said, I loved his last book. <laughs> it's, it doesn't, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't think... 
I mean, I understand from an artist perspective, a creator perspective, maybe that's a downfall, but I think it makes them that more special. I mean, would you, you don't want to love all of them equally. There, ha there is going to be a comparative factor no matter what happens, and one of them is going to rise. So hopefully yeah. they all just enjoy the craft. Like if, if Chris <laughs> is just writing for the, for the sake of writing and enjoying that, activity that then um it doesn't matter what the audience thinks of it he's creating yeah it's uh it's a unique position to like the the comeback book can't be an enviable position for anybody for all of the things that we just said but i mean what it comes down to is if you have a book in you and you want to get it out get it out and then just yeah. see what happens like you shouldn't let the reception, the potential reception of an aus an audience from your history uh, play a factor into, like, creating your art, I guess. Right. But the audience can sometimes be over-expecting over and unforgiving in a way that's not fair to authors. Like, absolutely, I need to acknowledge that. Like, I'm as guilty as anyone, but I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but, like... I don't know. Like, it's tough. It's a tough dynamic. I know as a podcast, um, we thought there was no way Aaron Morgenstern could outdo the Night Circus. It you was know, a tricky I stand corrected. Yeah, yeah. I stand corrected. Uh, we're, we're coming up on, the... on, on... So we're coming up on Zoya Stage's Wonderland. And <gasps> God damn it, if I didn't talk baby, baby teeth, teeth yeah. to everybody I could... Yeah. And you know what? Are there concerns it. this won't be as good? Sure, maybe. Um, that being said, I just want to enjoy the book. And if I don't enjoy yeah. it as much as Baby Teeth, I hope I enjoy it as much as whatever the last thing I read was when I picked this book up. That's, That's really right. what, what we're going for. So, Anything else before we wrap up this nearly two-hour book discussion? By the way, oh, wow. yeah. consider this a preview for the Booked Club. So I was, was going to say that at the beginning, yep. but I didn't want to. Booked is launching its own booked club. I, I, I think this was a little bit of a trial run with just three of us uh, doing this. Um, we were super lucky that we had source material that um, I, I know that Rob really enjoyed. I know I absolutely love it. Quote is one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, Misty, same boat, I think. Um, so I knew this was going to be an easy one to talk favorably about. Um, if you're not already interested, Rob, tell them how they can get involved in the book club. Oh, yeah. I guess I should know that information. So um, if you're already contributing to us on Patreon, you got a message from me saying, hey, if you're interested, uh, let us know. Uh, you, if you're part of the Booked Podcast listening group on Facebook, I also put out a message there. Um, but realistically, very soon, probably as soon as you're listening to this, email bookpodcast at gmail.com and say, hey, I want to be a part of your book club, and this is the book that I think that we should, as a group, discuss. Uh, voting will take place. Uh, the month of June is the kind of pilot testing ground for uh, our first book. Livius keeps saying July. It's absolutely June, because we've got like six books to talk about in July, and I don't know if you know how weeks work, but it's not that many <laughs> weeks in a month. Uh, so... Pretty much the, the, the door is closing soon on joining our first book club. So if you want to do it, do it ASAP. Email bookedpodcast at gmail.com. This is me. This is what I want. I think we should read. And uh, we'll, we'll get it going. 
one more thing um for anybody who's still listening uh this is horror awards voting is still open until saturday the 30th but it's in like british time or something i don't know so by friday every year every year by friday um (laughs) you know go 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 vote for your favorite um non-fiction podcast that's not a podcast that reviews non-fiction it's just one that doesn't read stories so um in the event that you don't have a favorite but you still want to vote booked podcast is who you're going to want to vote for um i've been telling people really like bazong and i really like frank hedler so that should probably be your second choice in the event of a tie um not between us and him because that's probably not gonna happen let's say ties with brian keen I'd, I'd much rather see frank win that one so um you can do that at this is horror.co.uk you can also vote for a novel of the year short story of the year rob have you voted yet for us I feel kind of no, weird voting no, for I us didn't. but i feel like i should right but i did um I did. I did rate us on on the apple podcast so <laughs> They gave us a rating on oh. Apple Podcasts. So we'll talk about. I don't know if I've done that, but I did do the. This is horror. What? Well, Mr. thank you, you bitch. For that yeah, exactly. So, um, thanks for listening. If you like the format, um, feel free to join us in the month of June to do this. Uh, the first one's free to anybody. You don't have to be a Patreon contributor. Where uh, as a pilot, we will invite you to our Patreon channel. We'll promptly kick your ass out at the beginning of July. Um, if you are not a contributor at the whatever level it is for the book club, three, three bucks a month. Three bucks a month. So um, hopefully you enjoyed this. Um, give us some feedback. If you're listening, we really want to know. Because um, like I said, we are structuring our, our book review um, uh, system. So uh, feedback on, on what you thought about this discussion, if you listen, would be greatly appreciated. Good, bad, or indifferent. Um, that's there's, it. That's all there's got. two more bear books. So if you want us to do this again for Penny Dreadful and Hell's Half Acre. Um, yeah, jo- jump on Patreon. Known. Vote for that for your book club, booked club book. <laughs> that would be perfect. So... <laughs> Um, thanks uh, for listening. Thanks, um, as always, Misty, for bringing it um, and joining us on uh, on another special edition of Book Podcast. Um, next week, it'll be our likely last quarantine live, right, Rob? I think maybe that's the plan for next week. I believe. No. Yeah. Yes, you are correct. I okay. was a little bit confused uh, because I've already okay. I've already started reading the next book, or I was about to start reading the next book. So I'm getting ahead of myself there. That's all right. I need to start on that, too. And now that you're talking about doing Penny Dreadful, I think I might stop where I'm at, um, just in case I have to read it again in three months or something. So, um, But uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, as always, we appreciate you guys. Uh, until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.